Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. All right, come on. How's everybody? Good, good. Good to see you this morning. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus. Noonan, let's welcome LaGrange in this moment, if you would. LaGrange, we are so excited that you're with us. We are live in two campuses at this moment. So glad you're here for the final week of our series called On the Money. So if you haven't been a part of the series and you're a deer hunter and you're in bow season, you're very excited because this gets your mouth watering, right? Uh, I was at Academy the other day and people were walking around in camos. I thought maybe there was a war that had broken out. Uh, But we're talking about how to take our life and live our life on the money, like how to really make sure that the resources and the possessions and the things that God has given us can really make a difference. And so week one, we talked about Luke 16 and the parable of the shrewd manager. And Jesus basically said this, take what you have now, use it in such a way so that when your life is over, people will even welcome you into eternity. Like there's this idea that we can take our money, our resources, our possessions and do something with them and they will actually outlive our life. We talked about that in week one. And then last week, I just want to give a big shout out to both of our campus pastors, Pete Shoger and Jake and Dukes. They did a phenomenal job preaching God's word last week as we talked about um, the idea of Ecclesiastes. And, and we were in Ecclesiastes 4.6. It says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with strife. And uh, we kind of answered that age-old question, yes, with more money, there is more problems, right? There's things that we have to do, things that we have to manage. But the idea is, is that we want to take what we have with one hand and keep one hand free so that we can serve God and we can serve others and, and we can make a difference because it's so true, man. One handful with tranquility is better than two handfuls with strife. And so today we're going to be speaking the last message from this series, launching a new series next week. I'll talk about it at the end, but I hope you're ready because here's the big kicker today. The goal of our life is not to make a living. The goal of our life is to make a difference. Let's say that together. The goal of our life is not to just make a living. The goal of our life is to make a difference. See, here's the thing. When you look at this target and you look at your life, your goal is to say, at the end of my life, I want to hit that bullseye. I want to hit that place in my life. But here's what I know about our money and possessions. A lot of us, we spend most of our lives just busy trying to make a living. In fact, we give a lot of our energy and our focus to that. Making a living is the idea that, man, if I could just live beyond financial strain. Like I ask people all the time, they go, Sean, can you just teach me how to live beyond financial strain? Can you show me how to to manage better and, and, and everything? And you heard in the story we just said a few moments ago when Chris and Brianna, they were sharing their story. And, and I want to say this, by the way, if you are struggling financially, they are about to launch Financial Peace University here at the Noonan campus. I want to encourage you, go by guest services. You can do that at LaGrange as well and stop by and we will get you information about getting a part of the FPU group, the Financial Peace University group that they're about to start. But wherever you are in that gamut, isn't the goal of just saying my life past financial strain, doesn't that seem a little short-sighted? 
Because that whole idea of making a living is if I just had more money, I would have less financial problems. It's not really true. We talked about that in week one. What we do with what we have has very little to do with how much we have of it. It has to do with what we do with it. And today we're going to be talking about taking aim. God wants you to do more than just make a living. He wants you to make a difference. You see, making a difference is about changing the lives of others. What if God could take our lives, our resources, our opportunities, and use them in such a way to change the lives of others for eternity? How cool would that be? I don't know about you, but that seems to be a much worthier goal than just living beyond financial strain. The idea of making a living is focused on the idea of I'm just going to live from paycheck to paycheck. If you don't think this is true, at your job, at your work, at your business, the two happiest days of the month are the first and the 15th. That's right. Have you noticed, like, just check this out. Like, go to your work and look around and see how people act on the first and the 15th. And then do a sociological study and back up and see how they act on the 13th and the 29th right? Like Jesus is in the house on the 1st and the 15th. God is good. Paycheck is here. But on the 13th and the 29th, oh, gloom, despair, and agony on me. It's bad because our idea is we're just living from paycheck to paycheck. But making a difference is bigger than that. It's like seeing something in eternity and saying somehow my life can live on the money in such a way that it can make an eternal difference. Why? Because The goal of our life is not to just make a living. It's to make a difference. If you have a Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy, as you're turning over there, I want to tell you a little bit about the the story behind the story, right? Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's basically trying to train him up as a young pastor, young leader within the church. And as he's doing so, it's kind of one of those moments where a preacher is telling another preacher how to handle money. And here's why. Because in the early church, there were all these people who were using the gospel and they were using the church to exploit for personal gain and for wealth. And they were basically saying this, hey, listen, you can manipulate this and it could be to your advantage. And Paul looks at Timothy and he says, Timothy, you don't want to be like that, man. You want to be different than that. You, you don't want to just like have money. You don't want to just have things. You want to live on the money. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says a few verses to him about how you and I should view money and then how we, as Americans, can see money differently. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 6, Paul says this. This is his instruction to Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. When Paul said these words to Timothy, there was a few things he wanted to make sure Timothy understood. The first one is this, consumption doesn't equal contentment. In our life, we have this idea that if we have more of something, we will become more content. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, let me show you what contentment is. Godliness with contentment is great Gain. What does godliness mean? It means this awareness that God is able to meet my every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And the idea that God is not only able to meet my need, he is completely sufficient for my need. And he says, Timothy, here's how you keep your life free of all that other junk. Here's how you live your life on the money. Godliness, God awareness with contentment 
is great gain. You see, consumption doesn't always equal contentment, but we think it does. In fact, let me, let me throw this out to you. Do you realize that the more you consume something, the less you actually enjoy it? Let me give an example. Last night, I was at the Auburn football game watching the Auburn uh, Tigers play the Razorbacks. And as we were sitting out there, uh, I bought my son tickets for his 21st birthday that we would go see a football game together. And so we're out there and we're enjoying it. We're in these really great seats and I'm looking around at all these other people and I'm looking, you know, we're just having a great time and everything. And I had this thought in my mind, I wonder what it would be like to sit in these seats every week. I wonder what it would be like every home game to come to this place and go to this thing and do this over and over again. And here's the first thought I had in my mind. I bet it wouldn't feel as special as it does tonight. You know why? Because the more we consume something, the less we actually enjoy it. They have actually done psychological studies of this. There was a research group out of Stanford, California that worked with the Stanford School of Business in their marketing department, and here's what they did. They took some hungry college kids, right? I love how you can study hungry college kids. They brought in a group of college kids, and they gave one group of them 10 wheat-thin crackers, And they gave another group of them three wheat-thin crackers. And they studied those who ate the ten, and they studied those who ate the three. And here's what they found. Those who ate the ten wheat-thins thought at the end of eating the wheat-thins, they were less enjoyable, less satisfied. But those who only had three actually thought those were some of the best wheat-thins I've ever had. I guess because when you're a starving college student, you'll eat anything, right? But the true, same thing is true about our life. The more we consume doesn't always make us more content. You see, that's why this idea of living on the money is so important. Because contentment is not always about consumption. Contentment is way more than that. In fact, Paul says it this way. Contentment is true wealth. He says godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. Everyone say it with me. Say great gain. Say it again. Great gain. How many of you want to be profitable in your life? If you have a business, you want to be profitable, right? The goal of you having a business is to turn a profit. That same word profitable is the same word great gain. He says, if you have this God awareness in your life that God is able to meet your needs, he is sufficient for all that you need in your life. And then you find your contentment in that first. He says, it's great gain. He's actually saying contentment is true wealth. Our wealth, our profitability is found in our contentment in who God is, not in our stuff. See, the truth is, it's really not about what we possess. It's really not about what we possess. It's about who we become. Because sometimes what we possess doesn't make us more content. Sometimes what we possess actually makes us more anxious, right? Let me give you an example. The other day I was uh, going through my house and I realized I lost my cell phone. You guys ever lose your cell phone? Okay, it's like a common occurrence, right? I should put a chain on it, right? That would look cool. And uh, I'm going around the house like, where is my cell phone? And then I I realized I don't know where my keys are either. Where are my keys, okay? And, And here's what I start realizing. I have so much stuff that it actually creates more problems. Like I have like four remote controls in my house. You guys got remote controls? right? Like I have literally prayed like the game was coming on and I'm like, dear God, if you're real, would you make that remote just, just, you know, just appear in the name of Jesus. Okay. And, and it doesn't happen because here's the thing, just because we have more of something doesn't make our lives easier. In fact, we would say more money, more, 
more money, more. I didn't hear anyone say less problems. Because the truth is, the more we have of something, consumption often makes us more anxious. He says, so godliness, contentment is great gain. And contentment is really the true wealth that we're looking for in our life. And then what he says in verse 9, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Underline that in your Bible if you have a pen. Desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And then he goes on to say, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money's not evil. The love of money. Because he's talking about what we want and our desires. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul said, let me, let me tell you something, Timothy. Be content with what God can supply to you. He said, and then keep yourself free from these wrong desires. See, here's the problem. Money's not the problem. In fact, I want to say this to you today. You don't have an income problem. You have a spending problem. <laughs> Did I just say that? Oh my gosh, Captain Subliminal. That's true. We don't have... We don't have really income problems. We have a spending problem. We spend more than what we have. And many times it makes us eager and desire things we don't really need. And the the true issue is this. The problem's not money. It's our awareness of what we think we don't have. Let me tell you how I know this is true. Every marketing agency is trying to create a greater awareness so you'll go buy their product. You didn't realize you needed a phone until you saw the new phone, right? You didn't realize that your two-year-old pickup truck was as bad as it is till you saw the one that just came out on the showroom floor, right? Awareness is where our struggle is. Imagine what you would not want in your life if you weren't aware that it existed. Let me give you another one. Imagine what you wouldn't be stressed out about if you weren't aware that someone was talking about it on social media. true. Money's not the issue. Our awareness is the issue. And I want to tell you how I've fallen into that in my life. Okay. I was on this plane and they have these really amazing magazines. They're called Sky Mall. (laughs) And I pulled it out and I started flipping through the pages. And suddenly I realized there were things that other people were selling and had that I didn't have. Who knew that I could have a lily pad toaster that toasts a bagel while I'm swimming in the swimming pool? Like everybody needs that, right? Like who, who, who would have ever thought that I could get a picture of a velvet Elvis to hang in my office from a 1971? Everybody needs one of those. And I'm sitting on the plane going, first of all, first of all, here's my thought. I really actually sometimes think I need some of that stuff. Like, oh my gosh, my neighbor's probably got one of those. They've probably had one of those for two months. They probably flew two months ago and ordered one that day. But you know what the issue is? It's our awareness. What we're not aware of typically doesn't even affect us. And here's what I know about awareness. It can either fuel discontentment or or it can tame it. Let me give you an example. It can fuel discontentment. You see something, you go, oh, I didn't realize I need that, okay? And then all of a sudden, you see something else out there, and you realize it can tame it. 
For instance, how many times have you been on social media and you saw something that someone went through and here's your first words? Oh man, I'm so blessed. Their house just burnt down. They were just in a major car wreck. He just lost his job after 20 years and has no prospects of a new job. See, that's what happens to us in our life. It can either cause greater discontentment or it can tame our discontentment. And we gotta be very careful because what happens is in the information age, the more we read and the more we see, it either moves us or it makes us mad. It moves us to compassion to help somebody else and do something that will last or it makes us mad and we end up offended. In fact, I wanna say this. You know why so many Americans struggle in their life with feeling offended about everything? Because you got too many opinions. We just do. Imagine how unoffended you would be if you didn't have all the opinions you had. I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there. This awareness issue is big in our life and specifically as it comes to our possessions. Because look what he says in verse 10. He says, and they've pierced themselves They've pierced themselves by this love of money with many griefs. You, you know, the, the worst phone call you'll ever make is when you have to call 911 and you say, hey, I shot myself in the foot. <laughs> I'm sure the guy on the other line's going, hey, <laughs> dude over there just shot himself in the foot. Imagine going to the ER room and you have to explain to the ER nurse exactly how you got that nail through your hand. Well, I was building homes for the homeless. No, you weren't. <laughs> No, you aren't, no, you aren't, you know. The the truth is this. I guarantee if you're an ER nurse, you've got some of the funniest stories in the world of people who've come in, done some of the dumbest things. And the truth is this. (laughs) They've pierced themselves. When we don't rein in these desires in our heart, he says, we pierce ourselves with many griefs. Some of the discontentment in your life is a self-inflicted wound. And we gotta own that. We just got to go, you know what? I got to own that in my life. So then he goes and says, it's pierced them with many griefs. Isn't it funny? Because I hear people say all the time, man, money should free me to have more options. But isn't it funny that the very thing, isn't it ironic that the very thing that we think can bring us more freedom actually many times causes us more grief? It just does. And Paul says, I don't want you to live that way. And then he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to live this way. And in fact, in verse 12, he says, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And then he says, and then I want you to go help people take aim. Help people take aim for their life. Help people guard their hearts and and move their life toward this target. Because at the end of our life and the short opportunity we have, we have one opportunity to live on the money. And he tells us how to do that in verse 17 through 19. Look what he says here. Look at verse 17. He says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It's so uncertain, right? Have you looked at your 401k lately? It's so uncertain. Who's going to get elected? It's so uncertain. What's going to happen? He says, it's so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Here's what he tells him. He says, listen, don't trust in riches. Trust in the God who can richly provide. 
And there's a big difference in our life. He says, so part of taking aim is don't trust in your riches. Trust in a God who can richly provide. And then he basically tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, here's why I want you to say this to these people. This is how you help people take aim when it comes to their possessions and the things that they have. The first is this. God wants us to become good at being rich. God wants us, LaGrange Noonan, South Atlanta, he wants us to become good at being rich. The problem is we're not really good at being rich. You say, oh, Sean, you don't understand, bro. Like, I know she's rich because I saw the car she drove up in. And I know he's rich because he lives over in another neighborhood, you know, where all the people live who have nice houses. But Sean, you have no understanding of who I am because I am not rich. Who is rich? Well, according to this scripture right here, he was talking not to the people who lived in big homes and had weekend houses and boats. He's talking to us. In fact, I want to say this to you. If you are an American and you live in America, you are rich. Listen, I want to let a secret out of the bag today. The person that you are sitting next to is filthy rich. You say, Sean, no, 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 that's not true. Listen, I can prove it. We don't always do a good job at being rich. Gallup 2011, December 2011, did a study and they asked people one question. How much would you need to earn to be rich? How much would you need to earn to be rich? You can go look up the study, Gallup to uh, December 2000, people, listen to this, people responded, people who made an average of $30,000 a year said, in order for me to be rich, I would need to earn $74,000 a year. People who made $50,000 a year said, for me to be rich, I would need to earn $100,000 a year. Those who made $200,000 a year, when they were asked, how much would you need to earn to be rich, said they would need to earn $5 million a year. The more you made, the more elusive the line got. Isn't that crazy? Because here's the deal. We're not really good at being rich, but yet we're rich, but we're not really good at it. And so what happens is we end up kind of like what the, the, the person said in Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. He says, don't wear yourself out to get rich. We end up wearing ourselves out. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches. They are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I don't know if your money has the same problem my money has, but it flies away. I mean, it flies away hard, right? Like at the end of the month when you pay all the bills, it's like, it's gone. I mean, it's gone like a country song gone. You know what I'm talking about? It's that gone. He says, don't, don't, don't wear yourself out to get rich because when we start thinking about where we are on the rich line, every time we think that this level and then we get to this level and we think it's this level and it's, it's just gonna wear us out. And Paul looks at him and he says, I want you to teach these people how to be rich. I want you to help them understand how rich they are. So here's the good news. Have you ever been to the doctor and they say, I've got bad news and good news to tell you, right? And you're always going, oh, what's the bad news, right? So I'm gonna tell you the good news. The good news is today you are rich. The bad news is you may not know it. The good news, you are rich. The bad news is you may not have a fat clue how rich you are. 
And so he says, I want you to teach these people how to be good at being rich. See, here's the truth. If you make $33,000 today in our world, if you make $33,000, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $64,000, you are in the top 0.1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And on Thursday night, you and your spouse are going to have a knockdown drag out about finances. Man, you're rich. Let me tell you how I know you're rich. You're rich because you have rich options and you have rich opportunities. You have rich options and you have rich opportunities. See, I, I, I want to confess to you guys. I know this. This is going to shock you guys. I am really rich. I mean, I am rich. Okay, so the other day I left this place for lunch and I drove towards the Ashley Park area, which is our outside mall area. And I passed five restaurants before I stopped at the sixth one. I'm rich. The other day I got in my car and it was hot and I cranked the air down to 63, seven minutes before I got in the car and drove away. The other day, I walked through my house. I have three televisions. Three. Every time I push the button, they come on. I'm rich. I walked into my closet this morning to get dressed to come to church. And I looked at my side of the closet and I saw all these shirts and all these pants and all these jeans and all these suits and all these other things. And I, I, looked, I looked down that row and, and I walked in and I said this. I have nothing to wear. <laughs> I slept on sheets last night that have a thread count of, I don't even know how many threads they have in them. <laughs> My skin feels so good. I showered in a shower that was tiled this morning, that was cleaned this week that had water that actually got me clean. Listen, I'm rich, and so are you. You have rich options, and you have rich opportunities, and they're all throughout your life, and you're sitting around going, but I wish I had what she had, and I, we don't have what they have, and, and the truth is this, your awareness is the problem. He says, I want, to te- I want you to teach them how to be rich. They need to learn how to become rich. Because here's the truth. Being rich is not a state of possession. It's a state of perspective. It's never a state of possession. It's a state of perspective. The problem is, and the challenge is, if we don't feel rich, you know what happens? We're going to always want to be rich, and we will never truly become rich at what matters most in this world. But I got news for you, Southcrest. You're filthy rich, and so am I. We just are. You say, Sean, you don't know my, listen, I know there's financial troubles. I'm not negating that. I, I get that. But, but I just want to tell you today, there will be children that will die in the middle of a, of a village because they don't have their next morsel to eat. And we're going to feel discontent because the restaurant we want to go to is closed on Sunday. 
We're rich. He says, command them to be rich. Why does God want us to be good at being rich? Here's why. Here's the second thing. So that we can become generous towards what matters most. So that we can become generous towards what matters most. Look at verse 18. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you realize in the scriptures, there's over 15 references in the Bible that directly relate to how we live our lives in generosity and how it will affect our life after we're dead and gone in eternity. What he's saying is we only have a short amount of time, a limited amount of time to make eternal deposits. And if we're so focused on making a living, there's a good chance we won't learn to become generous at what matters the most. And here's why this is so important. We were meant to be channels, not containers. See, as Americans, we, we consume everything. In fact, we consume so much, we're not even happy with what we have anymore. We're insatiable. We were meant to be channels, not containers. Channels, not containers. Listen to this. The average person, the average person in South Atlanta in 2014, the average median household income was $63,000. 2014, survey. Census.gov, go check it out. Average median household income, $63,000. If a person who earns that wage works for 45 years, at the end of their life, they will have channeled or the opportunity to channel $2,835,000. Some of you go, I'm rich. And then some of you go, I got to work for 45 years. <laughs> some of you go, Jesus, come back now. $2,835,000. If you were to take $2,835,000 and every one of these ping pong balls were to represent $3,000 you would have approximately 950 ping pong balls. Now, I know what you're saying. You're going, Sean, you don't, you don't realize, man, I've worked hard for this. Like, this is, this, is my, this is my ping pong ball. This is it right here. Like, this, this is the ball right here. Like, everyone keep your eye on the ball right here. Oh, Sean, it's beautiful. It's white. What, what's that say on the side? Oriental Trading Company? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And we spend our life so focused on that. And here's the deal. Maybe in our lifetime, if we are average, because most of us in this room, of course, you guys are above average, right? That's right. Most of us in 45 years will earn what this looks like. All this is is opportunities and options that represent $3,000 a piece that will channel through our hands. Now, here's the deal. We've got to have a home, right? So that, that makes sense. We've got to provide for our family. That, and by the way, that one right there that just fell off, that's how some of you are managing your money, okay? And so we've got to have a car. And so, you know, because we've got to get to work. And, and so that's, that's understood, right? But you bought a, the wrong car right there. And so you come over here and you go, I've got to provide so we've got to eat. 
Um, but Sean, you don't understand, man. We're foodies. And so we really, really like to eat, right? And so, and then I need to fix my house up a little bit here. And then got to get the car repaired. But then I want my kids to have great experiences in their life. And so we've got to have enough room to have experiences that are fun. And, uh, and those are good because we want our kids to have great experiences. And then, and wait a minute, hold on. It's Sunday. Okay. So wait a minute. I got a flyer from Bridging in the Gap to help people who are homeless. I'm going to throw something there too. Okay. And, and, and wait, there's someone else who's hurting. So I'm going to send them on a mission trip. Okay. And then there's, but, but wait a minute. I realized that my family is growing. Like those seven-year-olds are now 14-year-old and, and they need more room. So we got to build a bigger house. <laughs> right. And so, but, but then I realized that this car that I have, it's, it's two years old and it's got 35,000 miles on it. So, and I noticed that my neighbor down the street, he got the newer one and it is sweet. Okay. So I don't want to be outdone by him. And so I'm going to put some more money here. And then we come over here and we say, okay, we're just going to keep because, because we consume. Right. And, and, and then we go, Sean, you don't understand, man, this is important for me, man. My kid has to play in six competitive sports leagues and, and, and I've got to, I got to do this. And Sean, you don't understand if my kid doesn't go to sky zone every Friday night, they're going to get left out. Okay. And so, and so we just keep adding and adding and adding. And then every now and then we go, we come to church and we hear the preacher talk about generosity. And so what we do is we chuck a buck, right? Oh yeah. For the, oh, oh yeah. I chucked two bucks there. And so we're going to come over here and we're going to keep adding. The problem is, is at the end of our lives, we're probably going to run out of time before we run out of ping pong balls. And we just keep adding until one day we realize something. Paul told Timothy, he said, command those who are rich to learn to be generous towards what matters most so that at the end of their life, they will have laid up treasures that will last for eternity. These are all good things. But if we live our life this way, all we are is containers. God's called us to be channels. All these things are good. They're great to... But what about this? What about all the people whose lives can be changed for eternity? Because I don't know that at the end of our life, we're going to be excited or thrilled if we just look back and we just kind of chuck a buck every now and then. I just wonder if maybe there could be something different if we began to see our lives differently because all those things are important. But what if, what if we begin to say, God, I want to become generous at what matters most so that at the end of my life, I will have laid up things that will run over. And as they spread into my community, suddenly the kingdom of heaven starts spreading and people start meeting Jesus. And all of a sudden, God's kingdom is all over South Atlanta. Listen, folks, we're rich. We need to become better at being rich so that we can be generous towards what matters the most. It doesn't matter if it's giving to your church, giving to a charity, whatever. Man, we're so blessed. 
God wants us to learn to become a channel of his blessings to the world. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.